Welcome to a Meaningful Marketplace. I'm Sarah Massoni from Oregon State University's Food Innovation Center, where I've helped countless dreamers launch their new food products. It's the science of taking a food delight from the kitchen to mass manufacturing and still keeping its great taste. That's what I do. I've been called the woman with the million dollar palate, although I haven't tried to cash that check yet. Listen in weekly for real life stories. I'm Sarah Marshall, owner of Marshall's Hot Sauce and author of Preservation Pantry, modern canning from root to top and stem to core. I love inspiring business owners to get started on their journeys, encouraging folks to be part of their local community, and I'm excited to help business owners tell their stories. Join us as we explore the journeys of women entrepreneurs in the food and beverage industry. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Masonian Marshall, a meaningful marketplace. Thanks for joining us as we hear the stories of female food entrepreneurs. We're glad that you joined us today. We're here weekly with tips, love, and stories for all of our food friends out there. This is Sarah Marshall, owner of Marshall's Hot Sauce. And Sarah Masoni of Oregon State University's Food Innovation Center. So, Sarah, I um, have some news for you of something Uh-oh. that I'm trying out, and that is that I have been trying your diet of being gluten-free. <laughs> do you feel better? I do. Um, my doctor Whoa. suggested I try it because okay. I wasn't feeling that good. And, um, you know, there was nothing wrong with me other than that. I just wasn't feeling great. And so um, I've tried it for 10 days so far, and I have found that it's pretty easy actually, because I didn't eat a lot of, you know, I don't eat a lot of like baked goods or sweets anyways. So the thing that I'm really missing though, so I'm going to ask your suggestions is that I do love to eat burritos. (laughs) And so the flour tortillas is the thing that I can't figure out what to do. What do you do for those? Well, you can make your own. Do you, have you done that? Yeah. When I look for a, a gluten-free recipe, I always Google the best gluten-free and then whatever. And I'm then whatever for. it is. Yeah, yeah. And usually the recipes will be pretty good. Um, there is a woman, I think I mentioned her before, that has a lot of really nice gluten-free stuff. It's called Let Them Eat Gluten-Free Cake. She has really good gluten-free recipes. And then there's another woman up in um, Canada who does some really, I can't remember what her website is, but she has really good gluten-free stuff. And then, of course, you can always get Josie's mixes. Oh, yeah. I and was sometimes that. I'll use a crepe, um, actually, for... Oh, instead. Mm-hmm. That's a good idea. I mean, because we, you know, we eat a lot of, like, tacos. We eat a lot of, you know, whatever. Everything else seemed so easy, but I couldn't figure out what to do for burritos. <laughs> Burritos are tough. Yeah. So there are some gluten-free burritos in the grocery store. You might have seen them. Different ones to get. Safeway has them. And I know Walmart has them. They're by Mission. Oh, yeah. Um, They're okay if you like fill your burrito and then toast it a lot. But they're kind of gummy. I kind of prefer to make my own. I I think I'll try it. I'll I'll look up um, the best gluten-free tortilla recipe and I'm going to try to make it. I'll let you yeah, know. Yeah, I mean, I've used the a lot of the regular recipes <clears throat> and just sub in the Bob's Red Mill one for one gluten free flour. The gluten free flour. Okay. <laughs> and it does a pretty good job. Cool. I'm going to try it. Yeah, I still haven't decided if this is like the way that I want to live forever. <laughs> 
but but so far it's really working. Well, for you me. You, know, you can try eliminating other things like dairy products. Yeah, so, I mean, I love dairy, but you can eliminate them separately and see if you feel better. The other one that doesn't people don't realize that maybe making them feel bad is actually eggs. Oh yeah, um, see, I already don't really eat eggs. I do eat dairy, and we don't eat yeah. a lot of meat. I mean, it was it really wasn't a hard switch for me. Okay, I would say the only thing that I really eat with gluten is burritos and pizza. But I mean, it seems like those are pretty. You know, yeah. they're both things my kid likes. So it's like, Cambers has that uh, frozen gluten free pizza dough you can get at New Seasons. Oh, cool! I'll try that. Yeah, and it's pretty darn good. Yeah. It's vegan too. That's good. Well, she's pretty easy. So I think I can sub things in as long as I don't tell her it's any different. She doesn't really, <laughs> she goes for it. <laughs> Kids will never know unless you tell them. I know it's so true. Well, I'll keep you posted. And, you know, I just want to let, <clears throat> let you know, because you'll probably get text messages from me. Well, actually, my go-to gal. <laughs> if I knew that I could have brought you a quarter of that chocolate cake I made, I ended up having to toss it because... I just couldn't eat any more chocolate cake. (laughs) I could have brought it to your house. Next time I'll know. Next time. If you find something on your doorstep that says gluten-free on it, you know it's from me. I'll know it's from you. Drops (laughs) to my door. Well, we have a unique guest today. It's not our typical food entrepreneur, but we think that she can help um, some of our listeners out there. So I would like to welcome Anna Bradshaw of Bradshaw Copywriting, specializing in writing copy, telling brand stories, and upping your email marketing strategy. Welcome, Anna. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Thanks for coming on. We're so glad you could join us today. Yeah, super excited. So we want to connect our listeners to you. And what's the best way for them to find you online? Um, My website is AnnaKBradshaw.com. And I'm on Instagram as well. If you look for Anna Bradshaw copywriting. Perfect. We will make sure that people connect with you and we'll connect you um, through our Instagram. But we want to kind of help weave the tale of how you started your business and um, help people to understand what it is that you do. So um, since you're not our typical guest, I wanted to kind of lay the groundwork for some of the terms that we're going to talk about and things that you're on are on your website. So will you just talk about what a CPG copywriter is? Yeah, absolutely. So I write marketing copy for consumer packaged goods companies. So that's where the CPG comes in, consumer packaged goods like food items, um, also some beauty and skincare, but a lot of prepared food items. So Um, I'm going to interrupt you for one second. The the way you found us was through Josie's Gluten-Free, right? Yes. So So, I was wondering, since people have listened to the show with her on it, would you be able to use that that copy as an example for folks? Because they could always go there and sort of look up what you did for Josie. I think that would be effective. Okay, I'm done interrupting you. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. I love Josie and I got to work with her on her brand story. So brand story, what you see on her about page and part of the um, homepage where she talks about her brand, that is copy. So a copywriter writes those words and it is not the same as Um, a legal copyright. (laughs) I am not an attorney and don't work on um, protecting intellectual property that way. 
but I do write the words that help brands like Josie's Best Gluten-Free sell more. Usually I'm writing online copy. So home pages, about pages, and product descriptions. I'll also write sometimes packaging copy that goes on the box or the package itself. And then I do a lot of email copywriting. So when you sign up to get a discount on someone's product, and then you start getting their marketing emails, someone is writing those. And I'm a copywriter that helps brands find the right messages to share in each of those mediums. And what is a conversion strategist? Such a great question. So a conversion is whenever someone takes an action that gets them closer to your brand. And usually we talk about that in terms of purchasing. So if you're selling online, every time someone places an order, that's a conversion. And conversion copywriting is all about getting those purchases. It's getting people to click the button that you want them to click. And so there's all kinds of things that go into that. Um, Another really common term is conversion rate optimization. So it's taking the number of people that are currently buying from you, currently clicking those buttons and increasing it, getting more people to purchase um, if it's a good fit for them. Great. I think that will help as we're kind of talking through some things. Cause I think that sometimes, you know, when you, for us makers, if you're in the food world, it, it really, the language doesn't always transfer over into the online strategies and all that stuff. That's not part of our everyday language. We're talking about food and, you know, things like that. So I think it's important for people to, to really understand what it is that you do and how you can help them. And I think that, um, you were talking about Josie's story and, and being able to tell, um, in her about page and things like that. And I think as a maker, it's really hard sometimes, especially when you're just starting out, it's hard to tell your own story because Mm -hmm. it feels like you're, maybe bragging or, um, or trying to make yourself sound. It's just uncomfortable at first. I mean, now, now I have done it for a long time. So I feel like confident in doing it. But at first, every time I was just like, this is awkward. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't that your kind of your elevator speech? You have to have like a few sentences that you pretty much start every conversation off with. Can you tell us a little bit about what an elevator speech might be? Yeah, an elevator speech is um, a great way to really focus your message. So to take what you do and what makes your product special and put it into just a few lines. Um, So Sarah, I don't know if you have one for your hot sauce line that you want to share with us as an example, but... um, An elevator pitch, it's a word that's been used a lot in business circles. And with more happening now online, um, people are... You still need that, but you might be using it in different places like your Instagram bio or the hero headline on your website. Um, But it it gets down to the core of your message. You have to boil it down and tell people what you're selling and why they would want it. So what makes your hot sauce or your salsa different than all the other ones on the store shelves or what makes a gluten-free baking mix different than others that people could buy online or and Sarah, yeah. Sarah, what's come on, Sarah. I what's think, yours? well, so I usually say something <laughs> like, I don't have it like practice, but I usually say something like I make unique uh, sauces with ingredients sourced from local organic farmers, because that is the part that 
sets me aside from other sauce makers. So mm-hmm. I usually just try to put that in there. Yeah, I love that. And that gets to your unique value prop proposition, which is another businessy term for what makes you special. Um, and for you, that's the locally sourced ingredients. Um, for someone else, it could be a flavor, a texture, um, even a, a ways that something is packaged, whether it's um, you larger, whether you're in it using sustainable or reusable glass jars instead of plastic, or if it's a single serve when usually, you know, you can't get portable versions of that product. So um, taking those elements and it's tricky sometimes because there's so many great things about a brand. So I'm sure you could also say that um, your sauces taste amazing. <laughs> That's what sets them apart. Um, but as a founder and and as a business owner, you really have to uh, place those values in a hierarchy and choose which one's going to matter the most to your customers and then focus your messaging on that one or two um, unique attributes that your brand has. Can you tell us about creating your brand and how to keep it from being too clever? Ooh, yes. Um, It's tempting to see other brands that are cutting edge or have cute graphics or really sassy and clever copy and be tempted to create the same thing. But the most important thing you can do for your brand is make it clear to customers what you're selling and why they should buy it. Um, And especially when you are just starting out and it's a crowded marketplace, there are lots of other businesses selling foods. Um, It's so important to be clear and let the clever, cute side come later. Once people know, okay, you're selling peanut butter. (laughs) I know that's what I'm going to get. That's the most important. I think that um, is is good advice. And it also is something that will come up constantly for all of us. Cause like, you know, if you, anytime you're posting a new thing, especially with like the, maybe not so much with the website, because once you kind of have that set with your basics, it doesn't change a lot, you know, but with like the social media piece, you're always posting things. And I was just having a conversation with my husband the other day because I, you know, we, we make all of our ingredients with stuff from the farmer's market, but I also do a lot of recipe writing where I'm showing people how to use it. And the ways that I am cooking is, is the way, however I'm eating, because a lot of times I'm Mm -hmm. making it to feed my family. So our, our recipes are always like vegan, gluten-free, um, you know, and a lot of hot sauce companies, their recipes are like meat, chicken wings and meat and like uh-huh. whatever's crazy and fried. And so then I was wondering if I'm like isolating, you know, I'm, if I'm not reaching all the customers I could by doing it the way that I do it. Your core values are farm to fork. I mean, yeah. so, I mean, I think you could easily say you can put this on tofu or you could put it on chicken wings. Well, like, that's what, yeah, that's what we were kind of the the conclusion we came to was like, People, the people that are going to buy it are going to make it their own. They're going to get that they can cook with it and they'll do it their way. So it it shouldn't be me. You know, I do all these like cooking videos and I was like, I don't want to teach people how to make fried chicken. I want to teach people how to make, you know, a kale salad. That's way more on point right now um, for the dieting that and the way people are changing the way they eat to go more veg. I think you're doing a good job with that. 
Yeah, I think that's, it is a dilemma, but you can't be all things to all people. And I see brands actually lose their way when they try to be all things to all people. Like you said, someone can still put the sauce on their chicken wings and they will, if they have chicken wings in their fridge, they absolutely will do that. Um, But to have a core audience of people who are vegan and do value high quality vegetables um, or, you know, really healthy food in general um, and speaking directly to them and building that rapport where they know they can come to you for really health, healthy, amazing recipes um, is so important. And yeah, like you said, it's a constant temptation and it's hard sometimes yeah. to find that balance. But if you can find, um, I think it's the business writer, Seth Godin, who calls it a, a minimum viable audience. You want to find the minimum um, number of people that you need to be successful. So if if you need X customers and you know, there are Y vegans in the world or in the area that can access your sauces, then you're set. Um, and from there others will join, but, um, that really helps when you can focus your core message. And I love that you said you cook recipes that you would eat because, um, that's a lot easier and more authentic than trying to if you were trying to do meat exclusive recipes and then not eating them, um, people can sense that. And especially when you are doing a lot of it yourself, it's a lot easier to start with what you know and enjoy personally. Yeah. Well, that's good to hear. I feel like um, sometimes we just need to be reminded of, <laughs> you know, I think it's why it, it's so important that people like you exist and your, um, you know, your job is to help people tell their story. And I think that, um, that we do all need help with that a lot of the times. And even if it's just to hear that what we're doing is, is working or, you know, that we should stick with that. You know, a lot mm-hmm. of times when it's just us, we, we need people to check in with about that, you know. Can we ask Anna, can you tell us how you ended up being a copywriter? Yeah, absolutely. So I started out working in nonprofits and um, educational fundraising, and then moved into more sales support role. But I always loved the pieces of those jobs that were writing copy. So writing emails to, um, you know, get donations and writing messages on the receipts to thank people for their donations in a way that made them feel more connected with the organization. Um, It was always really about that writing piece for me. And Uh, I wanted to move into something that I could do, you know, myself. And as a consumer, I'd always really loved following small startup CPG brands. So finding the unique locally based um, brands on my grocery shelves or at Whole Foods or online um, and enjoying those products. And I think what drew me to CPG, especially independent brands within CPG is um, they're products you can purchase at a relatively low price point that just brighten your day a bit and make breakfast a little bit more fun with a with a fresh preserves on your toast instead of the smuckers or um, you know a, a fresh hot sauce or uh, all those really unique products and to know that you are supporting makers and people doing things really um, in a high quality natural way. So. That's what drew me to it. So I've been doing this now full-time for um, about three years and um, it's been really fun and a joy to get to connect with so many awesome founders. 
Well, and I think when you look at your website, even though you write copy for all different, you know, things, not just food, but I can, you can really tell that you're passionate about food and that you're good at writing about it. So, and that's sometimes the piece that um, us makers are missing is especially if you're not a writer or you aren't used to, you know, describing things in that way, it's, it's good to have someone else help you out with it. And I didn't really mm-hmm. realize that until I started writing recipes that were going into magazines and you always, or books, and you always have a copywriter that's there with you, helping you with that or an editor. And um, it's so helpful because you can, then you can just kind of put everything out there and then they make it sound a million times better. <laughs> <laughs> But I think it's good for businesses to know that that someone like you exists and that you can help them with that because they know what they're doing, but they don't always right. have the the skill set to make it sound amazing. And that's where you come in. Yeah, exactly. And when I work with clients, I always get to know, you know, what do they want to share? You know, what do you want your brand to stand for? Um, And what do you want your customers to know about your products? And that's where we start. And it's always there. Like the the kernels and the words are always there, um, either from the founder or directly from their customers. Um, And it's just a matter of taking them and arranging them. And sometimes, yeah, you just need an outsider, just like you'd ask a friend's opinion on... um, you know, a house project or something. It's it's good to get an outside objective perspective. Um, and especially if you can work with someone who, um, you know, in my free time, I'm reading up on like what's converting best right now. What kind of emails um, do people engage with the most? What's most helpful in terms of content? Um, and that's what I'm here to share with clients. I heard <clears throat> that condiment categories going to hit 85 billion or something crazy like that in the next couple of years. So Sarah Marshall, you're in a great spot having sauces right now. Good. I'm going to stay here. (laughs) (laughs) I hope, I hope they all come to me. (laughs) Me too. Um, So you, uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about you, you offer a service of brand storytelling, which we talked about, but can you talk about why it's so important for brands to have a good story? Yes. So, um, there are so many developments in the market that are really helpful for consumers. Um, we have a lot of choice and we can go to places like Amazon and choose any product category and have hundreds of options within that category. Um, but there's still something about feeling good about your purchase and feeling like you're supporting a brand you want to support. And that's where branding can really help you. And that brand story can really help you um, so that you become not just a hot sauce, um, but you become you know, Sarah and Sarah's sauces and you know the farmer's markets, you feel connected to the farmer's markets through the sauce that you're getting. Um, and I think it's more important now than ever because there are so many um, competitors and some of that's really great and really healthy. And then there are some lower quality um, ones that that don't have the same effort and heart put into them that yours probably does. And so having a brand story and telling customers um, what makes your brand special is really important. And um, it is about the founder, but it's not totally about the founder. It's also about the customer. They're, you know, well-intentioned shoppers looking for the most wholesome option or um, 
or not, depend, you know, even if they're super thoughtful, they're still in a hurry. And so you have to craft a brand story that speaks to them and their values and what they want. So if that is a gluten-free um, bread that their kids can take to school with them or an allergy-free like snack that their kids can take to school. Um, that's really important to communicate up front. And it's really about them and their needs, right? Like I need a snack for tomorrow that I can send with them that doesn't have any allergens for the class. Um, and so it's, it's finding a balance between telling your story of why you wanted to start an allergen-free snack company and addressing their needs and who they feel like as a busy mom who wants a really healthy, amazing allergen-free snack that they need tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. And I think that was something, I, you know, when I think about like new businesses, you know, when I first started, I didn't have that connection really to why it, why it was useful for customers. It was like, I'm making this thing and it's delicious, you know, and that was like about where it ended. But then once I realized that really for people to know how to use it, it had to be about, you know, showing them how to take it and make, and I was making their life easier by taking these, all these ingredients from the farmer's market, putting them together in this delicious way so that they could just open it up and make something very quickly. But it took me a few years to be able to figure that out, you know, and I'm sure Sarah Missoni, you, you work with a lot of people that are just starting their business out. I'm sure you see that a lot where they yeah. have a, pro a product, but not always a way of why it's important for people or how it's going to help people. I think one of the mistakes people make is they think that everybody's going to want their product. And so it's difficult for them to hear that not everybody's going to want their product. So when you ask them, who is your target audience? They say, everybody. <laughs> um, and that's not really true. And that's actually not good for your business. I think you need to be more focused and pointed. And, um, you know, like you were saying, I haven't heard that word um, converting for the best sale to the, the right category of people that are going to use your product and buy it over and over again. I think that's the most important thing to understand. Yeah. And the good news is you can have a thriving, successful business without having everyone buy from you. Yeah. We, we talk about that a lot too in the, you know, I have a sauce makers group that's all the um, Pacific Northwest sauce makers. Um, and we all, you know, interact together and, and are there to support each other. But, and the thing that we, realized right away is that we all had different customers. Like even yeah. if we're at the same market, different people mm -hmm. are coming to each of us for, to fill a different need, you know? It's co-opetition. So, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I, I like think that word. Yeah. Co-opetition. <laughs> You're cooperating and competing at the same time. It's yeah. Cool. And I think it's great. I mean, cause it makes all of us feel connected to each other and then it's not, mm -hmm. you know, it's not awkward when we're all at the same place, which is what it could easily be, you know, and that this way we can all help each other out. But we, we really have different people that we're selling to within the same events and the same, um, you know, community. So true. We are going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll talk about um, some of your favorite clients that you work with. Oregon State University's College of Agricultural Sciences and the Food Innovation Center are proud sponsors of Meaningful Marketplace. With a mission to serve all Oregonians, we are committed to giving voice to those whose food and agricultural stories are not always heard. By providing access and opportunity for a more diverse and just food system, because food brings people together. We're back. Anna, can you tell us who your all-time favorite 
um, customer is. <laughs> we're going to put you on the spot. <laughs> I could never pick a favorite. They're oh, all my favorite. There you um, go. Good answer. <laughs> yeah. they And part of it is because each one is truly unique and has a really great product and usually an amazing founder and team. Um, but a couple that I've really enjoyed, we've already talked about Josie's Best Gluten-Free and her baking mixes. Um, I went, I went through a gluten-free phase and, um, I'm not in it anymore, but when I was trying to find a gluten-free, I was also in a pancake phase at the same time. So I did a whole bunch of, um, testing pancake recipes and mixes and hers is the best I've tried. It's gluten-free. It's delicious. Um, I've written for Beauty Bar Chocolate's website. Um, Beauty Bar Chocolate is a chocolate brand that doesn't have any sugar. It uses monk fruit as a sweetener. Um, so for people looking for a version that doesn't have any cane sugar, it's a really delicious, rich bar. Um, and she also adds in different adaptogens to different versions of it. Um, so I love about her brand is she doesn't shy away from adding her own really um, beautiful aesthetic to it. It has a very floral kind of feminine um, and timeless feel that's unique in the chocolate space and a great example of being willing to um, step out and be a little bit unique in terms of the shape of your bar or the packaging. Um, so that's a really fun one. Um, I've also written for Zin, which is a drink that has turmeric and black pepper, the black pepper that you need to absorb turmeric. And it tastes delicious also. It has a really light, fresh, fruity flavor that's um, delicious. So those are just a couple off the top of my head and some different categories, beverage, chocolate, um, baking mix, Um yeah, each one is really cool. <laughs> well, I saw I checked out the um, link from your site to the um, beauty bar chocolates, and it it seemed it seemed really cool. I'd never heard of them before or anything. And um, mm -hmm. you know who it reminded me of? Sarah was um, Amy that does the nut milks because oh, she kind know. of yeah, where it does something where she's incorporating the things that she is into and passionate about. So, you know, she's putting like, you know, pearl and collagen and things like that into something that where it normally wouldn't be. And it seemed like that was something that the um, chocolate maker was doing as well, which I think is really great because it's, it's filling multiple needs of, um, you know, having one product like the chocolate, but you're putting these other things in that are beneficial, which I think is really cool. I like I that make makers question. are doing that. I have a question for you, Anna. How, when you're promoting your product, how do you keep from saying mean stuff about other people's products to make your product seem better? Ooh, that's a great question. I think that would be people tend to want to do that to try and make the sale. They try and compare themselves to other people. And I don't think that's really necessary. Mm -hmm. So how would you, how would you work around that? Well, I think I'm going to put you on the spot. Sorry. Yeah, no, that's <laughs> such a great question. There's so much there um, because what is powerful is sometimes talking about the problem that you're solving and that problem by definition can, is a negative, right? Like it's a, it's a pain point or something. It's, um, you know, if you haven't been able to find something, especially for, um, a certain diet that you're following, um, it's, 
it's frustrating and that's a pain point. So it's easy to talk about that and say, um, compared to all these other brands, we fit your needs. We do it better. We taste better or we're better for the environment or whatever than these specific ones that we know you're seeing on the shelves. Um, so I think the trick is to talk about the pain point without um, calling out the specific brands. And it's also helpful to get to know your customers because I think sometimes we think that we're competing against brands that we're really not. Um, it could be that people haven't even heard of the name that you want to Yeah, criticize. and you might be drawing attention to that other brand. Like, oh, I heard about this because so-and-so brought it up in their Instagram page and I'm at Safeway now and, oh, there's that brand. I'm just going to buy it because it's more convenient. And then True. they settle for a second best instead of making the effort to purchase the locally made higher, higher quality, higher value product. Right. You could be just giving them more publicity. Yes. Um, <laughs> so yeah, talk about the pain points you address, um, but then move on positives of what you're offering. Um, sometimes for some brands, it can be helpful to mention um, others using terms like industry average or traditional this or that. Um, I've worked with a flower company that has a flower that has a different nutritional profile than most wheat flour. And so they have a graph that shows them versus, um, I think the term they use is traditional flour. Um, but if you are competing against brands that have significant differences in quality or ingredients, I think it's fair to do that. And you can do it in a way that's not petty or, you know, negative or mean, you're not calling out people, um, you know, generally by name when you're doing that, you're using more general terms. Um, they can still show your customers at a glance, oh, they really are better. <laughs> and um, you are not based here in Portland. Can you tell people where you're based and um, how you find clients from all over? I'm based in North Carolina, um, which is, yeah, I've been here about a year now, so it still feels a little bit new. Um, <laughs> and that's what I love about, I mean, the internet these days. <laughs> I can be old. The cool thing about the internet, um, but I get to work with clients everywhere. So I have clients in California and Oregon and um, all over the country, really. And um, they often find me through referrals. So, you know, one client that's worked with me mentions me to friends. Um, there are also copywriting groups online where we can network and find clients in different areas because not many people specialize in CPG or food brands. Um, and then also designers working with website designers because copywriting and the words are only one half of it. You also need things to look good and have that um, design element. So I love working with designers and we get to refer people back and forth and, um, help brands put together a brand that looks good and has the right words. The great thing about where you are is there are a lot of food entrepreneurs in North Carolina. Have you connected with them? I was a couple, you know, I've been looking for statewide groups. I feel like there's some that are so well organized and I love that. Um, but I'm, I'm still going to farmer's markets here and learning about some of the, the makers who are in this area. 
You're definitely our first guest from North Carolina. <laughs> <laughs> I've been to North Carolina a couple times. I really like it there. I've never been. It's nice. It's beautiful. Yeah. What made you move there? Uh, well, my husband got a job here and we had been living in Southern California beforehand. Um, and we've heard such great things about North Carolina friends and he has family in Virginia. So we get to be closer to them. We love the um, smaller town feeling that it has here without all the traffic and everything yeah. that Southern California has. Although I love it there too. And I love my clients there too. We miss the, uh, <laughs> the ocean, but here in North Carolina stretches from ocean to mountains, just like California does. So you get variety if you just take a road trip. That's good. Maybe someday I'll visit there. I don't know. When people can travel sure. again. I'm, I'm yes. making a list of all the places. Whenever it, it can happen again, I have a, a long list going. <laughs> Same. I know. I've only been to Portland once and I'd love to come back and spend more time there. Well, we're here. We'll entertain you when you come visit us. <laughs> awesome. Uh, I wanted you to be able to tell our listeners about... Um, some of the other things that you offer, because I saw that you have a newsletter and you also mm -hmm. have a blog and I signed up for your newsletter. So mm -hmm. um, if you want to maybe tell people about those two things and what kind of things they can um, expect from that. Yeah, absolutely. So my website, AnnaKBaracha.com has my blog where I post articles from time to time with best practices. I try to make the articles really practical and give real life examples of best practices and some mistakes to avoid. Um, a lot of the content is about your website and also some about emails when you're setting that up. And then my newsletter is similar. And then I try to make every edition um, really practical and give you action steps to take. I just was doing a series on customer research. So getting information on your customers in really easy, affordable ways, and then figuring out what to do with that information and how you can use it to shape your marketing messages. Um, but I switch it up. There's always different topics and a new newsletter comes out every Thursday. So I love welcoming people there and you can always reply with questions and I'll do my best to answer them. Cool. I think it's a cool. good way for people to um, connect with that, especially if you, I've met so many different people um, that do all different jobs for food businesses, but I usually meet them at like, you know, farmer's market conferences and things like that. And I find that whenever I sign up for their newsletter, I kind of follow along with what they're doing, which is cool. And then um, mm -hmm. there's always like tips that are really helpful. And so I think that for makers to know that, that it's good to sign up for those things. And then, and then sometimes maybe I can't use the service at the time or I can't afford it or whatever it is, but I can still stay connected with that person. And then, um, you know, somewhere down the road, it comes into play that, you know, that our paths cross again. So I think it's a nice way to stay connected with really useful people. You should get in touch with the state university if you're interested in connecting with uh, college of agriculture, which would be where all the food people would be housed in the food science department might have some something like the innovation center um, that's a great recommendation and that that's there's probably a regional farmers market website like we have in portland so you can go directly to that and see where all the farmers markets are instead of sort of searching them independently so that would help that's a great idea thank you yeah 
Yeah, there's a really big farmer's market here. Oh, in you Raleigh. Know, check on the State Department of Agriculture's website and see if they have a database of all their licensed um, manufacturers. That would be the cleanest mm. way to find all the food people. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah, find, find, you can do that in Oregon. Well, Oregon mm-hmm. has a database of all of its licensed food manufacturers. And I think Washington does too. And those are accessible. So, oh, those are such good suggestions. Thank you. <laughs> and you help makers when they're just starting out, but you can also help makers that have that are established and maybe they have um, a website already, but you could come in and make things sound better, right? That's great. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. So I work with a lot of companies just starting out and some that are a bit bigger. Um, you know, when you have a core message, it's, it's, I love it because it's like an evergreen investment. You can use it over and over on your social media and, um, all different, you know, platforms when you're sharing about your business, but sometimes, you know, you need to update it and get a second set of eyes on it, especially if you are expanding your online sales or if you um, want to see more growth there, or if you are expanding your email marketing too, um, it's a great time to bring someone in. And I love working with marketing teams as well as founders. And if, so let's say, um, someone comes to you, that's a new maker. Could you just walk through, um, what they can expect from what you would do with them or for them? Yeah. So depending on what their needs are and their goals, we can create something that's simple or quite in-depth. But it starts with getting to know their brand and their customers. So if um, they have existing customers, I love to start with a survey where we ask them questions and get to know what they really love about the brand what they wish the brand would do a little bit differently or reasons that they don't always shop with that particular brand. Um, It's really helpful to get to know what those hesitations are and those roadblocks as well as their favorite things about the brand. Um, And then we get into um, creating your brand story. So we'll talk about, you know, what do you want your brand to sound like? If you don't have an established brand voice yet, we can um, talk about that. Are you a fun brand, lighthearted? Are you an expert, authoritative brand? Um, Whatever it is, you want your, your voice to sound consistent across all your marketing as much as possible. So we'll work on that together and create guiding documents that you can refer back to. Um, And then we'll create that brand story that you can use on your about page or your homepage. Um, Sometimes there's different versions of it, Um, even a founder bio that's polished and ready to go when you want to go on podcasts and get pressed for your business. And then from there, depending on um, if you're selling online or via stores, we can work on those product descriptions and get more conversions on your product pages. Um, And then we can set up automated welcome sequences, thank you sequences, and send out emails so that you can keep in touch with customers that, like you mentioned earlier, might not be a perfect fit or might not be looking for your product right this minute, but you can start building that relationship, nurturing that and sharing value, sharing recipes, and um, welcome them as customers if they want to buy from you. So those are all the steps. And it really goes from there because you can send limitless emails. <laughs> can you keep going with help, it. Do you also help people, you know, branding is artwork too. Do you help people mm-hmm. develop the right artwork? 
Oh, that's a good question. I do get asked, and I am not artistic. I'm not <laughs> so you gifted need to in have design. Some like people that you the work with that you work with. Do you have anybody that you help? Do you have a referral list? I do. Yeah. Um, okay. There's some really great, like Karen Savory does beautiful illustrations and logos. And I work with um, Shelly Easter who does great Shopify design. So for people who want to set up a really good looking yet simple and accessible website, um, you know, she does really great work. So we can work together and provide everything that someone needs for a full website or full brand. That's wonderful. I wish I could do it all myself. Just <laughs> you you have your specialty and it's very important. And I, well, and I think, um, you know, if, if you, there's sometimes people that have like a big marketing firm with, with people mm-hmm. that do all those different pieces, but you know, for your, for you, your business is the, is the writing piece. And I think that it's, it's really important. Have you thought yeah, you about- don't want to skimp on any of those. You want a really great designer and really good illustrations and great photography. So it's important to get experts. Do you yeah. write press releases? Because you could write press releases and articles and send them out to magazines to get copy or, yeah. Yeah, occasionally I'll help um, clients with press releases, but PR is not my specialty. I think that's another area where it can really be helpful to get someone who specializes in that, especially in foods. They know all the best publications where your brand would be highlighted best. Okay. All right. Do you think that, um, you know, we like to talk a little bit about, um, you know, this current time um, with with COVID and people not being, you know, able to connect personally. So do you think that, um, that has changed your business at all? Do you think it makes it more important for people to, um, sorry, my phone is ringing. (laughs) As I'm trying to talk about connecting, I'm also trying trying to turn my phone off. That's great. So what what I'm thinking is, is that it becomes more important for people to have really good readership connection right away in this time where you're not actually seeing people and talking with them. Have you noticed that at all? Yeah, I think it's more important than ever, um, especially as more people are ordering food online and as you can't do in-person sampling at farmers markets and other places um, or in stores um, to have really strong copy that conveys how good your product is and exactly what the experience is and exactly how they can use your product in everyday life. I think having that copy is more important than ever. And I'm Yeah, especially thankful for all the technology we have right now as I'm growing my own business and helping my clients grow theirs. Um, There's a lot that you can do with, of course, social media and email and having a really strong website. Yeah, I I think that um, that's something that I realized right away is that, um, you know, more and more people are shopping from all of our websites than Mm -hmm. ever before because normally, you know, we would sell at the farmer's market and now either they're just not as busy or people just aren't Mm. shopping at them or they're, or they're still buying from makers, but they're doing it in a different way. So it becomes really important for our websites to, to be even better than they, than they were before. Yeah. And I would also say, um, you know, to be encouragement, if you don't have any website, a simple one is better than none. And if you're not collecting email addresses, you know, you don't have to stress about having a really sophisticated 
automated setup, um, you know, put up something simple and send a simple welcome message. And, um, you know, something is better than nothing. So it doesn't have to be a full, huge project all at once. Baby steps are fine too. Yeah. I, you were talking about, um, people's bios and, and, you know, photos and stuff. And I think that's something that I learned right away as Sarah and I were doing this podcast is that a lot of the makers are our first suggestion most of the time is why are there no pictures of you? Cause we're yeah, just trying to find, find any one. information yeah. on people. You can't. And like, you know, we're just trying to post a picture of the person so that people can get to know them because that's who we're talking with. Mm -hmm. And it's so hard to find a bio, <laughs> to find a picture. I think, I think that has to be a common trend that it's just hard for people to promote themselves. It's easy for them to promote their products, but not necessarily themselves. I mean, I think you can go overboard too. And when I see that I can't find people, I wonder if I'm too accessible. <laughs> I'm just like, <laughs> there's too much information out there. <laughs> too much so of you me. have to kind of have to have a balance of what you want people to know about you and what you want to help hold private. So with yeah. still being open and you know, and that's where accessible. having a set professional bio can help. You know, you craft it and you can make it as extensive or as condensed as you want. And then you can have it ready to go and not have to have the stress of writing a new one every time someone asks. Um, and yeah, get a simple photo. People like doing business with people. They like to know who they're buying from, especially when it's a food product that feels personal. And especially if it's a higher price point, then you know, cheaper ones that aren't as, as artisan or as, as quality. Um, it helps to put photos so people feel that personal connection. Yeah. Do you have any advice for, um, brand new businesses or people that are thinking about starting a business? That's a great question. And so, um, so big, I, I'm sure other, um, guests that you've had on could give really great direction on the product side. Um, but as a copywriter, I mean, I would say you do need a really great product first, especially a food product has to taste good. No amount of copy can save a product that's <laughs> not going to taste um, good. You're, you're not going to get repeat customers that way. So that's the most important thing. And then I would say, um, just like we talked about at the beginning, be willing to share what makes your product unique and don't be afraid to um, prioritize your messages and focus them down because you might have an amazing product that's really great and has fantastic flavors and texture and taste and packaging. Um, but people get overwhelmed with too much information and too many details. So don't be afraid to prioritize what you're sharing. I think um, that's that's good, good advice. And, yeah, good advice. And I also think I got some really good advice that I think would help guide people to you, which is was in the beginning of starting the business. It was to find out whatever you're the worst at and hire someone to help you with that. And I think that for mm -hmm. me, that was accounting. And so that was the first thing that I did was have an accountant and a bookkeeper and somebody to take care of all of that stuff. But I think for a lot of makers, the next thing really is writing about themselves and telling their story. I think that we don't think that we're not good at it, but mm -hmm. I just think that there's people that are better and that can help you, you know, get, 
get to your story out there the way that you want it. And so I think, I hope that guides people to you because I think that there's a lot of makers out there that do need this service. And I think it's important for people to have some help in talking about how great they are. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I'll be there. I'll be the cheerleader. (laughs) Excellent. Well, ladies, I think that we are out of time unless anybody has anything else to say. Um, Thanks for coming, Anna. Yeah. Thank thank you, Anna. And if you want to tell people one more time how they can find you. AnnaKBradshaw.com or look for Anna Bradshaw copywriting on Instagram. Perfect. Well, thanks for joining us. We were so, it was so great to hear about what you do. Thanks for having me. It's been so great to talk with both of you. Yeah. Good. We uh, record Masoni and Marshall live every week. You can listen on your favorite podcast platforms like iTunes and Stitcher. Thank you to our production assistant, Chelsea, and our audio engineer today. We have a couple. (laughs) If you would like to be a guest or have a guest suggestion, you can send us a message to our Instagram at Masoni and Marshall. Thank you for joining us, everybody. We'll be back next week. Bye. Bye for now. Market of Choice is a proud sponsor of Meaningful Marketplace. As a family-owned organ grocer for 42 years, Market of Choice strives to inspire, mentor, and assist a diverse group of local producers and foster equity in our communities. With 11 stores in Oregon, Market of Choice supports these craft makers, as well as farmers, fisherfolk, and ranchers, by bringing more than 7,000 local products to market. Together, we form a sustainable, community-based food system that serves our great state. To learn more, go to marketofchoice.com. You're listening to the Startup Radio Network. Listen, learn, launch. 10% of our gross revenue goes directly to women entrepreneurs in developing countries around the world through Kiva's microfinance program.